Mac Power Users, episode 491, Working Hard in the Gaming Industry with Simone de Rochefort. Hello, everybody. This is David Sparks, joined with my pal Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? I'm doing really well, thank you for asking, and uh, real happy to have a guest with us. Welcome to the show, Simone de Rochefort. Hello, I'm very happy to be here. Yes, Simone, you've been on our list. We're glad you were able to make time for us. And yay, uh, but not quite at episode 500, huh? Well, you know, you know, not quite that big a name. You made it under the wire. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll say, I'll tell everyone, I was in the top 500 episodes <laughs> of Mac Power users. Steven was saying, let's wait till 502 for Simone. I'm like, no way. We got to get her in at 491. Uh, this is the countdown to 500, you know, it's uh, or the count up to 500. Anyways, I don't know what's yeah, I'm happening. I'm not sure exactly Thank how you. that works. <laughs> We're talking about MPU 500, though. So real quick, I would like to remind people that I am still collecting listener questions to ask of David in our live show for the 500th episode. So just tweet with the hashtag MPU 500. And there's also a forum thread over on talk.macpowerusers.com where you can ask questions there. David is not looking at these. Someone was like, can he cheat? It's like, no, David is a man of his word. He said he wasn't going to look. So we're going to believe that he's not going to look. So you can ask freely in the public. And I'm uh, excited. I'm collecting those, putting those in my basket for later. I uh, I never peeked at my Christmas presents, man. I never did that. I never like went around like in your parents' closets trying to no. hunt stuff down. I did one year. There was a present that was partially unwrapped, and I I saw early that I was getting some Micronauts, mm. which which dates me, but <laughs> it, it made me a little sad. You know, even as a you know as a little ten year old Sparky, I had a little existential crisis. Like, well, now that's not a surprise anymore, is it? Wow, look at this Wikipedia page. Sorry, I'm reading about Micronauts now. I'm going to put this in the show notes for people. I should be honest here. I don't know what those are. Yeah, I'm old. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You can explain them. I'd love to be educated. They were were just little action figures. I don't know. Uh, They were as big as my fist when I was 10, but now they're probably like three inches or something. Wow. Uh, It was a thing. Okay. It was a thing. Well, I've learned a lot about you. Back in the day. It was a thing. They only made it for four years. That's so sad. Yeah, short short lifespan for those micronauts. This is a very eighties tastic logo and font. Uh huh. On the nineteen seventy seven cover of, of an official Mega Micronauts catalog. Oh yeah, that was a cool toy. Uh, they they made a lot of great toys back then. Let's say I had one that was like a little helicopter. Huh. I had the uh, I had the Planet of the Apes action figures because that was a thing. I feel like I've seen the Biotron, this red, white, and blue Biotron. That like that looks culturally familiar to me. Yeah, I, I'm not even looking at the page because if I do, then you guys will lose my attention for the next thirty minutes. So I'm I'm intentionally not looking. <laughs> Surprise! This is what the podcast is about now. So I just just like those Micronauts. I am not going to let your. I'm not going to spoil the questions. I'm going to be there, and you're going to get um, whatever you ask. I guess I have to answer is that the way it works i'm nervous now you know more about putting people under oath i guess than i do since you're you know a lawyer and i'm just a podcaster but i think you're probably going to be under oath oh man this is getting scary wait it's getting scary is he gonna swear i don't know well is it legal to put someone under oath without making make a judge making him swear i don't know swearing a swearing a stack of micronauts (laughs) (laughs) go into ebay right now no, 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 don't do that. 
Anyway, uh, Simone, thank you for coming on the show, getting in here under the 500 wire. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Uh, Simone does a lot of things. Tell us about some of the stuff you create, Simone. Well, hey, I create a podcast right here on Relay FM. Uh, I'm on the Rocket Podcast with Christina Warren and Brianna Wu. That's been running for three years now. It's a weekly tech podcast, uh, although we spend a lot of time um, talking about it started as tech, just, you know, your regular tech. And as time has gone on, we've really honed in on disastrous security issues and scams. Um, so that's a, a fun occupation of our minds every week is just the ways in which um, our culture has become very, uh, I, I think we're encouraged to be lax with our our data and our existence for purposes of marketing. Um, so that, that's something that kind of preoccupies me every week as I talk about fun tech, really selling that. It's a fun podcast. We have a good time. It is actually a very fun podcast. <laughs> it is very fun. And then in my day job, I am a senior video producer at Polygon, which is Vox Media's entertainment network. Um, and I co-host Polygon's flagship podcast, which is called The Polygon Show. Uh, with my three co-hosts, uh, we talk about video games and entertainment, loosely defined, every week. And both record on Wednesday, I should mention. So my Wednesdays are my podcast days. Are you just wiped out at the end of Wednesday? I am emotionally destroyed. <laughs> I, I, I talk about this a lot. But, I, you know, even though recording a podcast, it's so physically easy. I just sit down. I put a microphone in front of my face and I talk. There is this emotional weight that comes with it where, for example, if we record Rocket on a Tuesday, I finish recording Polygon show on Wednesday afternoon and I feel like, whoa, the week is wide open. I'm not recording Rocket tonight. I, I I have years, years of time between now and the next rocket. Who knows what I will do? <laughs> so I don't know. I think there's an emotional, like, a, a seriousness that comes over me. I, I love how Vox, uh, Vox names their podcasts. Like, it, it just, it is, the show is what it is. Like, y'all are the Polygon show. Like, the Verge podcast is just Vergecast. Like, I like the simple branding Vox has going on. I think it really works. Thank you. I mean, you are on a podcast called Mac Power Users. That's true. Which could not be more. <laughs> That's true. MPU is the, it's the, it's the. You've done it yourself. It's the most literally named though. Like what does upgrade mean? That, that's not a podcast name. That's just a word. <laughs> Let's rock it. Yeah. That's a space show. And even Mac Power Users. I mean, when we made it, the only thing Apple really made was the Mac, but now you've got the iPhone, the iPad, uh, Apple TV, maybe a pair of glasses coming down the road, a watch, and uh, we talk about all that stuff. So the name is is a little bit um, deceiving as well. That's true. That's true. Should be APU, Apple Power Users. Yeah, I feel like we'd probably have Apple Legal coming after us at that point. <laughs> a very good point. <laughs> That's one thing I gained by being an official Polygon podcast. How, how did you get in this world, Simone? I mean, what, what got you interested in this stuff to begin with? And, and how did you start, you know, getting your word out there? Gosh, it actually started when I was in college. And I went to University of Washington, Bothell Campus, and it's actually, I think for me, my career has been very simple to follow in that a lot of it is being in the right place at the right time and having the skills and having the skills and being in the right place at the right time. So when I was in college, I worked for a student run website called The Next 
that was part of the what was at the time the Center for Serious Play and became the Digital Future Lab. And it started off as kind of a hangout space for people to play video games. And quickly, a bunch of people said, this is a use of the university's money and we're changing it. And it became a space um, both for publishing that website, The Next, and also then later for designing games um, in partnership between the university's CSS department and um, a interdisciplinary department uh, that focused on like there could be UI classes, there could be narrative classes, a lot of things like that. So they made those students kind of work together as they would in a traditional game studio. I did not do that. I ran the website for a while, basically just coercing my fellow students into writing articles. And after I graduated, I was able to interview for a position at a startup website that became Pixelkin, which was basically a website, a traditional news website, but specifically for parents who uh, were either curious about video games or knew about video games and played them with their kids and just wanted news that was geared towards them. Uh, So I started writing for that website. And then I went to E3. (laughs) Semi, uh, interestingly, um, we, a, a person got me a pass to E3 as uh, an employee, not an employee, as a guest of Konami, which I was not. But I went to E3 and I took a video camera and it was just like a crappy little camera, crappy little handheld uh, camera, Sony, I think. And I shot some vlogs from E3 and I edited them in iMovie, which is where I started out. And then I decided, oh, this is really fun. What if video what if video for pixelkin what if this was my job so i became i kind of took upon myself and my boss bestowed upon me the title of video producer at pixelkin um that so very there's a very uh, easy to follow chain of the things that i did in school uh, and leading up to my job but the job that i ended up in is not one that i trained for professionally what was your major culture literature and the arts all right you know i can see that with gaming the great thing about you to sorry go on <laughs> i just can well you know i i don't need to explain it but i think that that kind of makes sense for me yeah uh, uda bothell is kind of like the weird hippie satellite of uh, University of Washington Seattle campus in that it's much smaller tiny tiny little classes um, and it's very the buzzword is interdisciplinary everything is focused on like getting disciplines different disciplines to work together um, so as part of the CLA program I took classes on video games and honestly thought that I would go into game development while I was at school and I'm I'm very glad that I ended up where I am I, I find that track so interesting that your school took that approach. I got some of that in college, but it's because I did the college newspaper. And so I got to do some of that hands-on stuff that you were doing. But I feel like uh, schools, even today, you know, we we both been out of school for a little while now. I I feel like so oftentimes these programs are so rigid. And the truth is there's so many interesting jobs and opportunities kind of around the edges where different things meet. And it sounds like that's really where you ended up. Um, maybe it said right place right time yeah i mean i 100 percent believe that some of the most important experiences you can have in school involve the work that you're doing at school 
I was just listening to a podcast called Bad With Money the other day, and they were talking about work experience and how millennials often have trouble applying for jobs because uh, they'll say, like, required three or four years working in this field. And the advice that the host offered was, you know, don't treat your working at the high school or the college newspaper as a fake job. Treat it as part of that work experience that you have because it's – it, it is. It will be relevant to you and it will help you in the long run. I totally agree with that. The other thing I like is that I'm pretty sure when you made that first video, you didn't do it as a job application. You didn't do it thinking, oh, this could be a career. You probably just made it because you wanted to make it. Honestly, I, it baffles me a little bit because I, I can't remember what the thought process was really of like, Yes, there, there was no thinking like, I will parlay, I will make this beautiful vlog and I will parlay it into a successful video making career. Uh, that did not occur to me. It was just like, this would be, this is a, I'm going somewhere really, really cool. Uh, and I can show that to people because E3 at that point was still, I think it was the first year or it was the last year before they offered passes to the public. Uh, so at that time, I was going into it like, oh, my God, I'm going behind the curtain. What? Uh, so for me taking the camera, it was like, oh, this is so cool. Uh, no one else. No one else. People rarely see this. You know, I think it's shocking how often our lives paths start as a diversion. It's just like just a little side trail we're going to take. And all of a sudden it turns into the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh. And then it's terrifying to think, like, what if I didn't? What if I hadn't done that? Somewhere in, in the multiverse, there's a Simone who, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't go there. So, so you ended up shooting at E3, and now you're at Polygon, which, of course, is a, a, a massive site, hugely respected in game journalism. How was that transition going from this is something I'm just trying to kind of your current responsibility? And what does that look like these days for you at Polygon? Boy, did I get in at the right time. <laughs> uh, so when I applied to work at Polygon, there the video team was very small. Uh, in fact, my executive producer was hired a week after I started. So my first week that I was at Polygon officially, we were doing job interviews for that position. And, you know, we're I, I was on a couple calls just like meeting the prospective candidates. And that was weird as a, a person who had literally just started that week. It was like, oh, cool. So because the video program was not very organized at that point, I was able to grow up with it, essentially. Um, I think you can see that if you've been following Polygon on YouTube for a few years, like we we were finding our footing for a few years. We had some comedy series like Monster Factory. Uh, we would publish a lot of gameplay videos that were just like here your standard YouTube game video, which is look at this amount of gameplay with no commentary over it to see how the game works. Oh, we would publish interviews and uh, there was, I think, we, we were just exploring to see what would hit. And so that was great for me as a person who, like I said, did not have a lot of experience in the industry. I had worked at a very small website and a college website. Um, so I was able to learn along with the rest of the team and land on the strategy that we have now, which is publishing informative and also irreverent pieces that are thinking about and engaging with games and the culture around games. 
rather than just publishing raw gameplay, which I'm kind of glad we don't do anymore. Yeah, but it is interesting you got to be there for that whole development cycle. And so you really are part of the, kind of the DNA of all of that. Oh, my God. Yeah, there there was a time when we would just like I, I was thinking back on this the other day before my boss started slash around the time that she had started, but we were still finding our way. There was a time when I just put stuff on the channel, like just make it. Th- oh, yeah, I'll make this. I'll put it on the channel, whatever. And now, of course, we have a whole different system for making sure stuff is good we have quality control wild uh (laughs) wild concept um but yeah it really was for us the wild west not for the rest of youtube the rest of youtube knew what it was doing but you know we were finding our way so you you talked about um you know being in the right place at the right time but it's also what i hear is somebody who you know took advantage of the right opportunities when they presented themselves if someone was listening to this and they wanted to kind of follow your footsteps, get involved with this type of work, what would your advice be? That is a very good question. I would say my one of my the biggest things that has helped me is just being aware that there is I don't think that there's anything that you can do beyond, you know, burning bridges with people. Uh there's nothing you can do that will ruin your career or set your career in stone in a way where you can you're trapped here now you can never change it uh because for me it was very much it was you know a parenting website and then a parenting gaming website and then now i'm at vox media where i am making videos about video games in a more thoughtful way and i i think for me what helped was both just treating every opportunity as something that was worth pursuing, um, even if at the beginning when I interviewed with Pixelkin, it wasn't, I, I didn't have the thought of like, the, you know, I wasn't thinking, this is what I want to do for the rest of my career. It was a great job. I loved it. I loved the opportunity. But it was never a like, here we are, here we've arrived at my career. Um, and then the other thing I think would be to learn new skills and don't be afraid to try things even technical things that you don't have experience with because at one point that was video production for me and i started learning from adobe's tutorials on youtube because i had to make a video for work and i was like how do i do this um or actually no because i started an iMovie oh gosh what a time <laughs> but eventually you know i you know graduated to premiere in the adobe tutorials my gosh um, and then, you know, take finding classes that happened after work where I could go to a place and somebody would teach me about cameras, um, things like that. So do find those opportunities to learn more things and try new things, even if they seem very technical and very difficult from the outset. Yeah, one of the conclusions Mike Schmitz and I made on the uh, Focus podcast is that the lesson everybody needs to learn is that you never actually arrive. Absolutely. Oh, my God. My mom says that to me all the time. And it's one of the I find it very reassuring. She says, OK, no, no adult actually knows what they're doing. <laughs> and I find that so comforting because it's like, oh, yes, it's OK to feel like I'm in progress. That's just how everyone feels. Even my mother, the most competent person that I know. This episode of MPU is brought to you by One Password. One password comes into your life when you need it the most, when you have to deal with online accounts and passwords. 
They create strong, unique passwords. And the best part is you don't have to remember them. You know, you don't want to be that person writing them down the back of a napkin. No, no. One password stores them securely and makes it really easy to access them on all of your devices. So if you're at home or you're in the office, if you're on your Mac or your iPhone or your iPad, they're easily accessible. A great feature is 1Password for Teams. We use this at work, and it lets us create different vaults for different team members. So there are passwords for Mike and I only, and then we have some that we share with other people we work with. And I can manage all of that from the 1Password dashboard. So if someone needs a password reset or need to change uh, their access to certain things, it's all really easy to do. A great feature of 1Password is their secure notes. I've talked about this in previous ads. I use it for all sorts of things. Bits of information that I know I want to have safe and secure and encrypted where no one else can see them. So not only things like bank information or credit card information or passwords go into 1Password for me, but all sorts of data that I want secure. If you want to learn more and sign up for a free 30-day trial, head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU. And when you're there, sign up and you'll get 20% off. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU for a free 30-day trial and 20% off when you sign up. Uh, so, Simone, let's talk about gear a little bit. Uh, what are you using day-to-day to get your work done? Ooh, so right now I am using a 2015 15-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, I ha- The new people, people who came to Vox uh, with the new MacBooks, they're on the ones that have the touch bar and the, the fun, fun keyboards and everything. But I got in under the wire and I'm going to – they, they want to take this laptop from me because there was some kind of – I key or battery issue they say that they might be overheating no they will pry this laptop out of my dead hands i am not going (laughs) you you can have it when it's on fire (laughs) that's why i'm not on the upgrade podcast because i am clinging (laughs) to this macbook pro and then uh, i have an imac which is also a 2015 it's the 27 inch late 2015 imac uh, and those are the primary machines that I use to edit. Um, usually I will use the desktop, but I do like having the option to switch over to the laptop. And for that, I usually will just, I start my projects in Dropbox and I, they live, they live there until they die. I've got this image of someone in my head right now sitting behind a laptop, just madly typing. And then the clicks, you would see the little clicks, like in a cartoon, how you see the clicks, because it has the better keyboard. Flames are coming out of it. My wonderful scissor switch keyboard. Yeah, and flames are coming out, and she just says, mine. That's all she says, mine, mine, (laughs) mine. I think I am probably just for kicks going to have a link in the show notes to the battery recall, just so people go check that out. No, it's fake. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't mention that. (laughs) We didn't mention that. Mac power users didn't mention that. Oh, by the way, some of the older MacBooks do catch on fire these days. I don't know. I don't want to misspeak. Have they caught on fire? I guess they just have a, a risk of I catching on fire. I believe they said uncomfortably hot. I think that was the... A- Apple says the battery may overheat and pose a fire safety risk Ugh. on Apple.com. So All right. Whatever. You should probably just plug your serial number into this page, Simone. You make me feel better. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it, it's the... Uh, and it's the fi- the older 15-inch ones, the ones with the uh, before the questionable keyboard. So Yeah, I've got a mid-2015. There's a link in the show notes. Go see it. All right. All right. I've got my serial number. Okay. Um, 
Where in the show notes is this? I'll put it in the Google Doc for you. We can do this live on the show. We can see if your computer... Do you, do you want to? Because I will. We can always edit it out. I want to know. I want to know right now. <laughs> oh, goodness. We need to know. Because like, right. if we hear like flame noises on the other side of the microphone, and you know, we need to take action on your behalf. Yes. That's definitely the first sound you will hear. Um, yeah, the serial number you entered may be eligible for this program. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. You should do that. <laughs> I will when IT takes it from me. That See, th- folks, this is the benefit of working at a big company. Sometimes you're made to use legacy software that you hate, and sometimes your IT department is focusing on a bunch of different people, and they can't take your malfunctioning MacBook from you in a prompt manner. They're busy ordering new MacBooks. And again, they will take it from me when I am dead <laughs> from flames. Well, in the meantime, why don't we run a, a cable, charging cable into your refrigerator and just charge sure. it in there at night? Yeah, that's That's fine. okay, right, Stephen? I mean, I haven't been a Mac genius in a long time, but that sounds pretty right to me. Yeah. Or, or if worst case, oh. the freezer, but that may, be, that may be a separate problem. Y'all are making me nervous. Uh, I mean... I, okay. I'm, I actually am a little nervous, Simone. <laughs> oh, no. Find me one person who whose MacBook has caught on fire. Don't actually. Don't fact check me. <laughs> well, don't, don't leave it charging overnight on a wood furniture. Just do me that favor. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, what about iOS? Uh, is uh, you've got an iPhone, I assume, but uh, oh yeah, or, does that play into neat. work? Or is I guess your work is your work pretty Mac centric with all the video stuff? So it you know it didn't at first because at Pixelkin I was I initially worked off of my Windows laptop, and then my boss did buy an iMac for video editing purposes, so I started using it because uh why would I not oh my god i had a really crappy i think it was i think it was an asus laptop and this was again like 2014 Mm -hmm. 2013 that i was using this you know it was my personal computer uh because we were a startup so i didn't you know get fancy equipment at first but then i got the um imac lovely and once i i had always been a person who used windows not for, I think, any specific loyalty, but just because that was what I had grown up with in my house. And at this time, I so I'm 28, and I did not have a smartphone yet. I was using, um, gosh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the, but I had one of those Razer phones, and mm-hmm. then I got one that like slid up, and it was very fun, but it wasn't a smartphone. So I was not on smartphones yet when I graduated college and started working at Pixelkin. And then... Uh, I started recording Rocket. (laughs) And uh, Christina Warren, if you've listened to Rocket, you know, is a huge Apple fangirl. And um, I I wanted I I wanted an iPhone. I wanted it so badly. And then the 5C came out and I thought, my God, look at that. It's an iPhone for people who are cheap, like me, a recent college graduate. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a colorful iPhone. It's fun for me, a recent college graduate who's a fun person. How great. And so I bought the pink iPhone 5C. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And from there, it was just, it was all downhill from there. Because I switched over to, I was using... um, 
Mac OS at work on the iMac. I had the iPhone. I had actually bought an iPad 2 in college. I don't know why, just because I wanted one. <laughs> um, <laughs> it compelled me, I think, because it was pretty. And uh, it just all went you know, downhill from there. I realized I, I really genuinely do think it is a better OS. I enjoy using it more. I find it more logical. I find it more organized. Um, so I, when I, when it came time to buy, buy a new laptop, I did buy again, the 13 inch MacBook Pro, a 2015 model, which is still the laptop that I use at home. I should probably see if it's going to catch fire, ah, but I don't want to, because again, until they release the new scissor switch laptop, I will use that laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Until it catches fire or I die. I think you're in good shape. The recall <laughs> is just the 15-inch. So you're, okay, okay, you're safe good. and sound. That's because the 13-inch 2015 MacBook is a MacBook Pro, I should mention, is the perfect, perfect device. It's a really it, good laptop. It's solid. It's chunky. It functions. It's a, it's a functional beast. Uh, and it's a good size. I just I love it so much. I do think because you know there's a, a a very active rumor now that the next MacBook Pro, um, and even possibly an update to the MacBook Air is going to have a new keyboard system return to scissor switches and um or something like it. And I feel like it's going to be like a pent up demand situation where suddenly there's like massive sales of MacBooks when that happens. Is that their plan? They're boosting stocks. They're they're creating a shortage. Yes. <laughs> they, they, they've been using the butterfly keys for four years in an effort to create a situation where they can return to the scissor switch keys and everyone will lose their minds. <laughs> no, I don't believe that. Don't print that. Steven will buy two just, just because. Oh, heck yeah. I've got the current MacBook Pro, the new eight core one. And it's fine. But yeah, the keyboard feels like a clicking time bomb. That's a topic for a different time. Mm -hmm. So, Simone, you mentioned that you had an iPad 2 in school. Uh, is Has the iPad graduated to a more important place, or is it still sort of a, a secondary side device for you? Uh, the iPad aged out, and I sent it back to Apple uh, just this last year, actually. Okay. Uh, I think for me, the phone replaced what I did on the iPad, and what I did on the iPad was mostly... What I would have done on a phone had I had a smartphone, uh -huh. I literally would, you know, take selfies with my iPad. Uh, I used it for Instagram and Tumblr and for watching anime because, it, of course, I could, like, load videos onto it and take it on trips and stuff. And I also used it to write uh, because I, I actually write pretty well on mobile platforms uh, I think it's something about being able to focus because there's only one thing on the screen at a time. Uh, so I would, you know, I, I, I write recreationally fiction. So I would write on it or take notes on it. And it just got slower and slower and slower to the point where it, opening a single app was horrendous. So I sent it back to Apple this year. So no iPad. No new iPad. I have not. Uh, I've not really found a place for that in my life right now. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Head over to textexpander.com/podcast to get twenty percent off. It's time to give your productivity a boost with Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can turn the things you often type into snippets and use them everywhere you type. 
Your time is too valuable and life is too short to constantly retype what could be a snippet. Everybody can think of the obvious examples like their cell phone number or their address, but I bet there's something in your life you find yourself typing repeatedly. Why don't you turn that into a snippet with Text Expander? Companies are using Text Expander for teams, for customer support, reports, email, and anywhere else they need to be consistent and accurate with text. I use it with all my Max Sparky stuff. When someone sends an email in, me or my assistant often send Text Expander based snippets back to answer common questions and just make sure that we get the right information out. Text Expander is available for Mac OS, Windows, iPhone, and iPad, and even Chrome. Show listeners get 20% off their first year by going to textexpander.com slash podcast, where you can learn more about Text Expander and sign up. Just make sure to let them know you heard about it on the Mac Power users. The thing I love about Text Expander is its power. It goes so far beyond any other snippet program. As we've talked about on the show, you can add Apple scripts and automation. You can do fill-ins. So when you do an email, you can fill in the name or a particular piece of information. And it just really ups your game in terms of your automation. If you spend any significant percentage of your day writing text, then you need Text Expander to help you get all that work done faster and more accurately. So head over to textexpander.com slash podcasts. You'll get 20% off when you let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users. And finally, we just wanted to thank Smile for all of their support of the Mac Power Users over the years. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense for someone who does as much video production as you, because that's one of the, the use cases where the Mac is definitely superior. I've been curious about uh, video uh, video editing on the iPad because you know with the new uh, the programs that are available on it, the Adobe Suite being available on iPad Pro now, that's been a possibility. But for me, just because I have a laptop and um, because I think I I'm very attached to using a keyboard and things like that when I'm editing, um, I don't necessarily see. A, a place for that in my life right now, especially when it comes to working with video game footage, which is something that I do a lot because a lot of it is very, very large files, mm-hmm. very large, long files. Um, and I just, I don't want to mess around with um, getting those on an iPad to work with. Yeah, we're I, we're just on the verge of having some real interesting options for that. I I feel like in the next year, like video production on iPad is going to become a lot more normal. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for someone who mm-hmm. is as busy as you are, I can see why you wouldn't want to be the first person to do that. You know, let somebody else figure it out. Yeah, let them work out the the kinks, and then I will be there. What I would love, oh my gosh, I was on uh, Twit last night, and Leo has that beautiful um, Microsoft Surface Pro. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I love that thing so much. I would kill to be able to use one of those. But again, I don't think that the cost makes sense for me or for Vox Media (laughs) (laughs) when they can, you know, give everyone iMacs and MacBook Pros and then have us work fine. (laughs) Right. Yeah, And for the the listeners who are not familiar, that's like an iMac size uh, Windows computer that's got a really cool hinge in it where you can tilt it to like a draft table. And work on yeah. it like a like a massive tablet. Oh, it's so nice looking. There's just something aesthetically very pleasing about it. It looks like an Apple product. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I think you're right. Uh, 
and uh it's priced like one too <laughs> yeah and i think for i mean like i said i i write pretty well on a touch screen and obviously i could get a keyboard for an ipad but when it comes to all the things that i do for work such as video audio and after effects um and then also browsing the internet or um dealing with youtube backend stuff or writing emails it is just easier to use either a laptop or a desktop computer. So for me, that makes sense. Maybe someday I'll change. We'll see. How much of your work do you do on iPhone, though? I mean, is, is it something, you know, where does the iPhone fit in your work flows for your, for your actual work? Uh, mostly in terms of checking and responding to emails, um, obsessively reading Polygon.com, and of course... The ever-present Slack, which I have on my phone because that's what we use um, at Relay as well as Fox Media. Um, I don't think I'm logged into Relay Slack on my phone. Actually, that's a mistake. Um, <laughs> I've been so, really so communications. Really sounds like yes, yeah. The phone is for communicating, um, and then the computers are for generating content. You know, you had said earlier you write uh, fiction on mobile. Do you still do that on your phone, or do you do that? Yes, usually not in. Um, so when I'm writing, both for work and for personal stuff, uh, I use Google Drive a lot. That is, uh, like, I'll make uh, outlines in Google Sheets. I will write uh, books and scripts in Google Docs. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff in both of those programs for uh, my work here at Polygon and then for my personal work. But then what is very, very useful to me is notes, which I love. Um, and I will find often, you writers out there will understand when the idea happens to you, you got to write it down. So what'll happen, of course, is I'm writing on my MacBook Pro and then I turn out the light and I turn over to go to sleep. And then suddenly more scene is happening in my head. And I'm like, God, no. And I grab my phone. I open notes. I just like eyes half closed typing. And I type really weird on phones. I type with, um, let me pull up. Yeah, I type with one thumb and one index finger. Um, and it's my right thumb and my left index finger. I don't know why. I think Christina called me out once being like, oh, you think that that's faster? And I'm like, it's not. I don't think it's faster. It's just that this is how I learned to do it. And I can't do it with two thumbs. <laughs> I'm trying to it's do it. It's never going to happen. I don't. My fingers don't work that way. W with the thumbs or with the index? With the combination. I'm very confused. Pourquoi? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is because I came to smartphones late. Maybe this is what's happened to me. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that is the the beauty of something like Google Docs. I mean, I, I work in a very similar way doing all of our show prep. I know you all do too at Rocket of people just have access to the Google Doc. And as things come up, you add things in it. And for me, at least, uh, documents aren't really files anymore. They're sort of like ever-present buckets to put things in. And mm -hmm. I... I definitely appreciate that flexibility. It sounds like you do too. Yeah, they're always, always changing. Um, and so what I gather from being on this show is do you guys make a different document for every week? Yeah. Okay. I, what I like to do, and maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe you should tell me, Stephen. <laughs> I use just the same document for Rocket because um, I'm the one who like will gather the links and put in titles and forget to write descriptions for episodes. Um, and every week I'll just 
erase last week's episode mm-hmm. and write a new one because I mean part of my what part of what keeps me sane is not having an excess of files and versions of things. So for me, because the episode is published, it's out there. The show notes are on Relay FM. Um, I don't feel a need to have four hundred episode, four hundred documents of episodes of Rocket. Um, so I, I would probably just delete them. I wouldn't let it get that way. But um, what makes sense to me is just to make a, a kind of living document that will update every week, and that's what I use for that show and for Polygon Show. Well, that makes more sense for most shows. Our, our show is a topic-based show. So like we we'll, mm-hmm. like we may be working on an outline right now for a show that's not going to be recorded for three or four weeks from now. So That makes a lot have, of sense. We have to keep separate buckets. And same thing with guest shows. We try and keep the guest shows different and unique. So I get it. But the way you do it for like a show that has kind of like a, uh, I, you know, it's almost like a new show. It's like a topical every week. Um, the automation pieces in my head are thinking, man, this would be so much easier if I could just go to the same document every time. Um, but, but for our show, it doesn't make sense. But I think for a lot of people, they do it the way you do it. That's good. <laughs> I'm glad that you guys have a system that works for you. And that totally makes sense. Like if I were planning out, I mean, for our live shows that we do, of course, those get separate documents because we're in there planning up until the 11th hour so where do you because you talked about you do writing in both google docs and apple notes how do you what's the dividing line for you how do you know which one makes sense for you usually um so if it's on my if i'm remote it will happen in notes and then of course i because i live in the apple ecosystem i just open up notes on my macbook pro Ooh, look they're right there and then um Basically, usually what I do, because I'll be writing snippets of a scene, I will save that in notes and it will live there terrifyingly um, in danger of accidentally being deleted by me until I get to that scene in the book that I'm writing. And then I will I'll just write up to that and then I'll be like, oh, wait, this I've got parts of this. Mm -hmm. And then I'll go get that snippet from notes and I'll, I'll put it in the Google Doc, which admittedly is probably not the most seamless and sensible workflow that a person could have. Um, But it's what I like to do because working in notes is a very, it's a casual and creative space for me. Um, So it's nice to go back in there and, you know, find gems that I'd forgotten about or um, find that... (laughs) find that something has been written already and oh thank god i still have it some okay i do a bad thing honestly i do a very bad thing because sometimes sometimes i won't write something down in notes sometimes i'll write it in an email draft and then i will forget that i do that and i'll go looking for it in notes and it won't be there (laughs) and i'll think what i have this vivid memory of writing this where is it where is it gone it's always in drafts Always. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yep. just quick, quick capture sounds like the problem you're solving. And honestly, Google Docs is not great on the iPhone. I can understand why you'd want to do it somewhere else. God. Yeah, especially if you're working. So if you're on a computer, a document will start getting wonky around 30,000 words, I think. And on the phone, Boy, howdy. Um, And I'll I'll still go back and read sometimes on my phone, but using sheets on the phone is a nightmare. And working with docs, like, it's very, it's very obnoxious, as you say, because you have to, like, 
double tap in to edit it and then you have to click the checkbox and sometimes you accidentally start editing when you're just reading um and it becomes a danger it becomes a hazard a deletion hazard which i do not appreciate yeah we have a lot of docs like i have a doc that we keep for the show with potential guest names and like somebody will email me an idea and I will not update it on my iPhone because it's just too much work. I'll just, you oh. know, save it to OmniFocus or whatever and next time I'm on my Mac. And is that in Docs or Sheets? It's a Doc. doc. Oh, yeah. Uh, just real quick. I mean, you, you talk about games for a living. You want to just share some of your other gaming hardware? Oh, heck yeah. So I mostly play on, well, it was PS4 um, because I, I, I love the games on the ps4 and also because i despise the ui of the xbox one i think it is bad um but then the switch happened the nintendo switch mm-hmm. and this beautiful little console that is both a handheld and i can seamlessly plug into my tv and play on my tv incredible so now my with some exceptions my ps4 is a very expensive video streaming uh, machine and my Nintendo Switch <laughs> is my uh, my wonderful my wonderful companion who um, comes with me everywhere. Stephen owns all of them. That's his thing, man. Gaming PC. <laughs> I mean, you do what you got to do. We own a Switch now. We have we have a Switch. Idea. Have you ever played it, Stephen? Just Mario Kart. Yeah. Oh, I just I finally got Mario Kart for the Switch. I was holding out because you know it's fifteen thousand years old and it's still sixty dollars. But I recently got it at Podex. I downloaded it on hotel Wi-Fi because I needed to have a Mario Kart tournament, and then I proceeded to play it so intensely, nonstop for about a week. Yeah, it's great. It's a perfect game. Is the is the PC, is the Windows side of this, uh, is there any aspect to that? I know there are a lot of games that are over on the PC. I know you have a lot of uh, video capture options and stuff over there. Uh, does, the, does that have a, a place in your world? That groan you just heard was my groan of pain. So uh, at home, absolutely not. <laughs> However, you are correct in that there are many games... That will be computer only, and they are not made for the Mac. Uh, unfortunately, some are. If if the game is available for uh, Mac OS, boy howdy, will I work with that. However, there are many PC games. Um, so here at work, we have a couple PCs. Uh, we have a dope system, actually. So we have a little room basically set up for gaming and video capture and we have uh, all of the consoles we've got a pc we've got the xbox one s i believe is what i'm seeing over there and the ps4 pro and the switch um and some i think that's yeah playstation vr and we have all of those hooked into a switcher and the switcher runs through elgato basically which is a um small capture device that is basically the gold standard for game capture. Uh, It's a little capture card, basically. It's a little black box that has HDMI in, HDMI out, and then USB-C to USB. And basically the way it works is as a pass-through, so you plug your console into the Elgato and then HDMI out to TV, 
and then USB out to um, another machine, another PC that, or Mac that you are capturing on. So that, um, that's great because then you can have game audio that you're capturing as well as audio coming from your TV so you can still hear the game that you're playing. And it also has built-in um, capabilities for uh, recording VO on top of that. There's a bunch of audio settings you can toggle. So basically what we have here, all of those systems I mentioned running through an Elgato hooked up to another PC where we do capture either in Game Capture HD or OBS, which is another wonderful program for capturing video games. Um, and then we also have a set of microphones that run through, <laughs> this is very complicated, I'm sorry, uh, that run through an audio board into that uh, capture PC so that we can do voiceover. And when we are ready to capture something, basically we can go into OBS and say, okay, do I want just raw gameplay? Do I want gameplay with a little picture-in-picture picture, um, with our voiceover over it? Uh, there's a bunch of options, um, and it's quite automated at this point because we just got the den redesigned. So everything is working smoothly, and it is a dream. That makes a lot of sense, though. I mean, I, I, I followed along with you, and you know, I do screencasting myself, but screencasting out of different types of consoles and PCs with the ability to add voiceover at the same time, that is not a simple problem to solve. Yeah, and the big change recently that we did, because it was pretty horrendous for a long time with just, you would look back behind where the consoles were and it was a nest of cables. And it was the most horrible thing I have ever seen. Like it, it got to the point where only, you know, one person knew how to do anything because the cable situation, the cable management was so, so bad. Um, so we had a kind of tech refresh of this room very recently. Somebody came in and just took everything out and put everything back. And now there are many less cables and we have um, the audio system is set up now so that we can actually hear ourselves as we're recording, which is something we didn't have the option to do before, um, hear ourselves speak on our microphones as we're recording so we can, you know, be able to check levels without having an extra person at the computer, you know, listening to the entire thing. Because that's just, we are a really small team and that's not practical. How much time do you spend in that, you know, what do we call it, Gamenstein? I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I, would, I would imagine that's quite a bit of your, your job is, is getting those videos produced. You know, actually, I spend more time uh, at my desk uh, in Premiere um, and After Effects just because we because we don't do as much raw gameplay capture anymore. Um, is definitely, we do use the room still. It's very useful. I love you, room that I'm in. I'm actually in it right now, uh, <laughs> which is why I keep looking around and talking about things as if you can see them. Um, but it, it's more um, because we're not doing streams as much and we're not doing raw gameplay capture as much. We'll come in and record like what we need. Um, and we'll also have meetings in here because Polygon doesn't have a dedicated team room. So this is it, baby. I mean, even from a non-gamer perspective, just the the video workflow. I mean, the thing that I'm still hung up on is there's another PC at the end of the whole process just for oh, capture. Yeah. And listen, this is actually the worst part of my job for me as a person because I still hate working in Windows. Um, and this has, 
as I said, you know, I grew up in Windows, so this is not a a condition that I was born with. But after being after working on Macs for so long, I every time I have to do something on a Windows machine, I want to rip my own skin off. I hate it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just hate it so much. Um, ugh, gosh. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought Windows got better. I haven't used it for a long time, but everybody's telling me it's better. Is it still still giving you trouble, though, huh? It's still giving me trouble. I feel like it wants to update all the time. It never asks. Everything is so... I, and part of this probably comes from the fact that I am using a machine that is shared by a lot of other people so of course every yeah. time i log on there's a thousand files that someone has left on the desktop and i'm like what D- put them on a drive and delete them take take them o- or record them onto the drive directly what are you doing um so <laughs> well that, that was gonna be my next question is like okay so you've got this room that does this amazing job of capturing video from basically any type of gaming platform you've got a dedicated machine that records it, then how do you get the footage off of that over to the workstation at your desk where then you start doing production in the video and maybe you want to grab a clip that you made? Is there a system for that? Uh, We all have hard drives, basically, or uh, for those of us who don't, they can yell in the office and somebody will offer one up. Uh, But that's pretty much the easiest. Yeah, (laughs) the sharing economy. Um, the easiest, fastest way to do it is to move it physically on a drive. Uh, we could use Dropbox. We all we we use Dropbox regularly. We also have a um, a SAN that we are working off of here. But I this computer that we capture with is not connected to that system. So the fastest way to do anything is just record it directly onto a drive, which you can do in both OBS and Game Capture. And then take it right over to the MacBook or the uh, iMac, which can be ugh, it can be annoying because there's drive formatting shenanigans that happen sometimes. Um, and I can't use my beautiful big one terabyte Thunderbolt on the the Windows machine, which is another reason that it is a flawed, horrible device. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that that's pretty very simple answer. Hard drives, baby. I, I think right now, although he probably wouldn't admit it, there's like some background process in Steven's brain that is like laying network cable in your office right now, right? A, a little part of you wants to solve this problem, right, Steven? <laughs> I, have a, I have a very reasonable hourly rate. <laughs> but you've been doing plumbing all day. Do you really want to come yeah. lay cable <laughs> yeah. here? Just go from house repairs. Ones and zeros, burst water pipe, doesn't matter. Actually, I do want you to come fix my toilet. I, I know how to do that. I'm very, uh, very skilled. If, you know, if podcasting ever goes away, I'll, I'll be good as a, a handy person. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud and get a server running in just seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, and node location. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers. In fact, RelayFM is one of them, and we're all looked after by their incredible 24-7 support team. If you ever run into any problems, you can drop them an email, give them a call, or even chat over IRC in the Linode community, whatever suits you best. And they have some super useful guides and support documentation, so if you need to quickly look something up, you can. Linode has a new management panel in beta at cloud.linode.com. 
This new management console is a single-page application. It's built using cutting-edge React.js and is backed entirely by their public API. And it's open source, which is really cool. Linode has pricing options to suit everyone. Their plans at 1 gigabytes of RAM start at $5 a month. And they offer high memory plans starting with 16 gigabytes of RAM. And Linode has a special offer for you. As a listener of this show, you can go to linode.com slash MPU and use the promo code MPU2019 to get 20 bucks off any Linode plan. And on that one gig of RAM plan, that's four free months. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash MPU and the promo code MPU2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. My thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So we've talked about some of the technical stuff with the, the video production, uh, but I'm curious too about how, just how a video comes to be. I know you all have different series you, you work on or sort of different, uh, I guess, different like flavors or styles of video. And how, how does that come about? I mean, are you all sitting down and, and have a big editorial calendar? Is it more fluid than that? What does that look like? Um, so we have weekly pitch meetings, uh, which uh, I have been leading because my boss is on maternity leave right now, which makes me the boss. Um, and I'm sure everyone who's been listening to this podcast just gasped in horror because I'm the boss and I have the power now. Um, but we we talk pretty, pretty regularly about um, both what's coming up soon and I think more importantly, what we either have been playing or have played in the past and that we love. Because I think something that is really our ethos at Polygon right now is people want to read and watch stuff about things they care about. And if you have an interesting new take on, I mean, for example, a piece that came out today was about the 2005 King Kong game that's based on the Peter Jackson movie. Somebody had a, a a reason to revisit that in 2019 um and it's it's fascinating and i think that there's a lot more value for us in covering things that we know a lot about because they've been part of our lives for so long there's just a lot more to say whereas um if we were doing strictly timely stuff you know what what can you say about upcoming like if i for example were trying to make a, a video about news from E3, what can I say about those games that hasn't been said both by the companies that are making them and a thousand other people that are, you know, also talking about the very little that we know about those games right now. So for us, it's much more interesting to revisit older games. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover there still, I think, because much like movies, there are cultural artifacts that, you know, there's a lot to say about. Mm -hmm. So pitch meetings <laughs> um, and people will be assigned ideas to basically go research and write a script about, which they will do in Google Docs. Oh, yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll work together. I don't know how deep into this process you want me to go. Probably very deep because it's <laughs> Mac power users. <laughs> well, it, it's, well, we're just fascinated with how people get their work done, you know, and, and how you use all this stuff. And and Google Docs does probably solve a lot of problems for you guys because you're probably going to have editorial people looking at the story as it's developing. And um, that gives you a way to have hands-on at any time. Do you guys have any special, like, 
like I know some folks will have like different ink colors for different people that go in and do edits or how do you track things as you're as you're moving a story along the process? Yeah. So usually we'll do um, I'm a big fan of the suggesting mode, which is basically the Google Docs version of track changes in Word. And I do I do still use Word actually on my home machine. Um, But because, you know, we want to share documents and make changes live, uh, we will write in Google Docs. Usually what I'll do is I'll create a rough script that is garbage and full of notes and thoughts and things. And then we'll move that into a two-column script, which is very useful for video production. You have audio on one side and video on the other. Um, And for me, I I think I do it a little bit uh, differently because I think technically you're supposed to do all audio on one side, including like whatever interview clips or sound ups you're going to use. I just do my VO on one side and then anything that is external on the other side. Um, And that allows you, because it's two column, you can really time it out so I can see like I'm talking and then a couple line breaks and then in the column that is next to my VO, um, I can put a clip uh, of an interview where somebody's saying something relevant and then you can follow that directly back to the other column where you'll see the VO continue from there. So you can really create... Um, a very a very simple map of what the video will look like and how it'll flow, um, and yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of that. And often I'll just write directly into a two column because it it keeps it very neat. I like confinement in my writing. That makes sense. I mean, did you just end up? Did you start at that model, or did you kind of work your way? Did you iterate to that? We definitely iterated to that, especially as well as we as we started doing more scripted videos instead of like let's play style videos. Yeah. Um, it just became a necessity because otherwise, you know, it, if you are showing your video to someone either in a table read to make sure that the script makes sense or to your boss to get her approval on it, uh, that person needs to be able to not imagine what you might put on the screen. They need to be able to see like, okay, I, I'm saying something and then this is the visual that is supporting it. This is the weird animation that I'm going to do. Um, because otherwise there's just there's so much left to the imagination now do you guys do the animation in-house too we do actually um we're a very small team as i mentioned uh so all of us use after effects um and some of us are more proficient in after effects than others um and we try to help each other out as much as possible but we'll all basically do our own text treatments and whatever animations need to be done. Um, Usually it's pretty simple, though, because the great thing that my boss, Chris Grant, always says is that video games are made of video, which makes a lot of the work easy (laughs) because it's just there. Yeah. yeah. You you want B-roll? Okay, this game is 100 hours long. (laughs) Take your (laughs) pick, baby. Yeah. How many people work on a typical project? I mean, because it sounds to me like you, even though you say you have a small team, it still sounds like a lot of collaboration going on there. Yeah, it's definitely grown that way. It used to be more solitary than it is. Um, and I think it's becoming more and more shared, which I'm very much in favor of. Um, but we'll we'll have a producer who owns the video, basically. Um, and that video becomes a task in Asana, which is a task management system that's a lot like Trello in that, you know, you're making cards and they're parts of projects. 
Um, but that's great because in Asana, you can make a lot of subtasks and you can assign those subtasks to different people. So yeah. the video will be an Asana card on the video project and then every stage of it will be a subtask. So writing the script is a subtask, uh, getting someone to look at the first draft subtask. And then we will have a table read where a bunch of people, a three up to three, not a bunch, three people will get together, including the script writer, and they'll read through the whole thing. And then they'll read through it again and basically edit it as needed to make sure that it makes sense. And is funny. I mean, usually that's the stage where personality gets injected back into a script, sure. which is really important for me because I'm, ugh, I can still be a very boring writer because I kind of, in my paralysis, in writing paralysis, sorry for all the plosives, um, I will forget to be a human being, <laughs> you know, in my effort to explain something clearly. So that's where jokes happen. But, I mean, it seems like the whole workflow was built to be collaborative. I mean, Google Docs and Asana and all these collaboration tools. I it, it makes a lot of sense when you explain it. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, it's been a, a long road to to standardizing what we have now. Now, now where does Slack fit in this, though? Because, I mean, do you, like, also have Slack channels for the individual videos, or is that more generic? We have generic Slack channels, um, and there might be... You know, if a large special project comes up, that'll usually get its own. But we have, uh, you know, Slack channels for the video team to kind of, and those are mostly just to broadly discuss what we're doing and when we're going to lunch <laughs> and things like gotcha. that. Yeah. Um, and then everything else will happen um, in Asana or in Google calendars, you know, we'll schedule the table reads that I talked about, or we'll schedule shoots, um, or brainstorming sessions. Um, and that's, that's usually where those happen. And, but we'll trade notes for those usually in either Slack or in a Google doc. Um, it, it is kind of a nest. It's a bit of a nest. What's the hardest part or the, the biggest friction point from getting a video, you know, from the decision to making a video to the point you ship it, what's the part that's still hard for you? Oh, gosh. For me personally, uh, it is both brainstorming and then research. Because for me, those are the points where I will second guess myself or it will just feel kind of aimless because you're you're looking for a story or you're looking for the facts to corroborate your story. And you have all these puzzle pieces. You have an internet full of puzzle pieces. And it's hardest at that stage to envision what the video will look like. But once I get into Premiere, it's that is my favorite part of my job is just actually physically making the video, editing the video. I find it so, um, so soothing. Like I, I really slip into a flow state when I'm editing and I really love that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because at that point, it's it's pure creation. You've done all the work. Now you're just putting it together. Yeah. Oh, God. When you put it that way, that's so true. And it really makes me think that I should <laughs> buckle down with that. Like, I, I got to find a way to make research less painful for me because it really is my least favorite part. Uh, intern? Oh, my gosh. I <laughs> wish I could make them do that for me. Um, what, what about, uh, you know, you make internet gaming stuff for YouTube. 
how much do the comments and all the toxicity that can come out of it, does that ever affect you or do you even think about it? Oh, I do. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) No. So we are in a very fortunate position at Polygon um, because somehow over the years that I think because some of the videos that we're creating are very funny and positive and the humor in them doesn't punch down we have attracted an audience of like-minded people who just want to have a good time so generally the comments are actually incredibly positive which is mind-blowing like it's kind of a a known thing at the company that the, the salespeople are like what people really like them that's this is so weird um and honestly i think it's weird too i'll look at comments on other people's videos and i'm like oh my god this is a horrible cesspool that being said we have a very robust system of filters set up um thank you youtube for allowing blocked words um and i of course do (laughs) succumb to temptation and look at those comments because i am a masochist like, I'm the person who reads the comments on the articles on Polygon. I don't know why I do this. I am compelled by Satan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, th- th- there's definitely some. And it is the old, uh, the adage that um, the one negative comment will stand out to you a thousand times more than yeah. 10 positive comments. It, yeah, it is. That's true. the way it is. I had that explained to me recently. It was like somebody, I think maybe it was Mike Schmidt. Somebody told me like, you know, we have been trained to always be aware of like the one sound of the saber tooth tiger. I mean, it's so deep in our training. You know, what's the one thing that can kill us? That's the Mm. thing we pay attention to. And somehow those negative comments and the negative emails can, can trigger that same thing. I think there's some truth to that. Oh, it so is. Because then it's like, but this one person, they don't understand me. They don't understand what I'm doing here. Why don't they understand? Yeah. Which is when you go back to the XKCD about not being able to go to bed because someone is wrong on the internet. Yeah. Well, you guys do a great job. I mean, for listeners of the show, if you have any interest in gaming, you need to check this out because I I am, a, I am one of those fans. Uh Thank so I, you. I think it's great the way, and it is fun the way you you present the information. Thank you so much. And that, yeah, I, I w- one thing that has always been, I think, to our benefit is that our videos are accessible and interesting to people who don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of video games. Um, and that's something that is important to me is just to make sure that like this is. This doesn't exclude people. It doesn't talk down to people <laughs> because that wouldn't be that wouldn't be any good. Um, and that it's entertaining and good-hearted at the end of the day because I think a lot of content like it's so easy to make a video making fun of something or punching down on something. But I I think one of my favorite things about what we do is that we contribute something positive to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, in a in a world where there's so much negativity, especially online, there's a lot of negativity. So that, that I really enjoy, you know, being able to make things that make people happy in my day job. Amen, sister. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Go to eero.com slash MPU and get $100 off. 
If you are in the sound of my voice right now and you've got one of those routers, you know what I'm talking about, the ones you have to reset and the ones your significant other calls you about all the time, then you really need to listen to this ad. The thing is, you can have a better internet life in your home. The single router model just doesn't work in our high bandwidth world. It's all in the physics, like light waves and Wi-Fi waves that don't go through walls very well. And it's kind of like asking a light bulb in your living room to light your master bedroom. It just doesn't work. So you need a distributed system. You just download the Eero app to your iOS or Android devices, and it'll walk you through each step of the process. It's quick, easy, and painless. I got one of these for my sister who doesn't really understand anything about technology, and I had planned to come over and install it, but guess what? She had it installed before I got there. It's just not that hard. And if for any reason you run into a problem, they have an incredible customer support system, so you can call and speak to a Wi-Fi expert within 30 seconds. And if you're not sure how many arrows are right for your home, they can help with that too. Before Eero, I was just like everybody else, dealing with tons of Wi-Fi problems in the house. I had my wife and kids trained so they couldn't understand how to unplug and reset the router and the Wi-Fi router. And it kind of worked, but it just was never very good. Several years ago, we had a guest on the show who was bragging about Eero. As soon as we finished recording the show, I just got on Amazon and ordered a set for myself, and I've never looked back. They are so easy to install, and they just bring Wi-Fi everywhere. We have not had a problem since I installed them. If you want to solve the Wi-Fi problem in your house, just head over to Eero, that's E-E-R-O dot com slash M-P-U, and get the Eero Base Unit and Two Beacons package for $100 off. That also comes with a free year of the Eero Plus service. You won't regret it. I sure don't. And I didn't get that sweet, sweet discount. Once again, that is Eero.com slash MPU, E-E-R-O.com slash MPU to get that $100 off off the Eero base unit and two beacons package. Don't forget to enter the code MPU and let them know you heard all about it here on the Mac Power Users. Thanks, Eero, for supporting the Mac Power Users. Yeah, so, so let's switch gears a little bit and and talk about podcasting. You mentioned that you were on uh, Polygon show, and I'm I'm curious about how you know, so many big media companies they have these multiple outlets. Right, you're working on video, you're working on articles, and sometimes it feels like podcasts sort of get to ride separate from that, and you can dip into the different content areas that you're working on. Uh, and I'm curious how how that's been for y'all with that show. You know, honestly, I I, I wish that. Polygon show were a bigger part of my job because Mm -hmm. everyone who is on the show um, is coming from a different part of the website. So I'm from video. We have Ashley O from our social media team. She's our social media manager. Um, And then we have Chelsea, who is our managing editor, and Allegra Frank, who used to be a news reporter at Polygon and has since moved to Vox.com, our enemies, where she's a culture reporter. So that's, I think, one of the biggest issues that we have as a show is that there's no one person whose job it is to make that show happen and to make it good. Um, And I think we do a good job, like, bringing what we're doing onto it because, you know, it's a podcast about video games and TV and movies. We're watching those and playing those in our off time. So, you know easy to talk about that the material kind of writes itself but i I do think it would benefit from just more more individualized attention if that makes sense 
Uh, we record that in the studio, and we have an audio producer named Jelani Carter who edits each episode as well as, you know, doing the tech stuff with recording it, uh, which is wonderful because I briefly edited it. And, oh, boy, Stephen, you and I have talked about this briefly on Slack before. I hate editing podcasts. <laughs> but you don't. Tell me why you don't. I don't know. I don't. Uh, there's something hooked up wrong in my brain, I guess. Ugh, teach me. Well, it's interesting because you really enjoy editing video. I mean, we just got done talking about that. Yeah, which I hate. I guess audio. I oh. hate editing my YouTube videos. So we're just, we're just, uh, we just need to hire each other for these tasks, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, let- <laughs> we've solved it. We've solved the workflow. <laughs> yeah. I, there's something about, I think, the visual component of it because with a video, I can see immediately. Ah, yes, this change that I've made, it looks good mm-hmm. and it flows. And there's all those other elements that you're adding in like, oh, I can I can add B-roll here or I can do this fun animation to punch up this section. Woo. And I, there's I, and, you know, maybe this will betray my my noviceness with audio editing. But it was just like, you know, you're listening or I was listening to a section or just listening all the way through to all the things that I said myself. I heard myself say them um, and then becoming increasingly aware of every um and being like, okay, is that an um that I'm going to cut out because that's detracting or am I just going to let this one roll? What's going on here? It, of course, being an hour long would just take me a very long time to do. So again, part of it is that I, ha- I don't have a proficiency built up with podcast editing, but that proficiency never will build up because <laughs> I don't enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what program do you edit in? Uh, I edit in Logic. Oh, okay. I use Audition. Yeah, so I use Audition for some normalization stuff. And so uh, one thing that you know is really hard to get right in podcast editing and a lot of things that people really struggle with, and I'm sure you do this too with video when you have different sources, is making audio consistently loud. Or you end up with one person louder than the other. Or maybe in one of y'all's videos, you have gameplay, and then you come back and you're talking over it, and the volume's all mismatched. That's so hard to get right. And Audition has some nice tools to sort of, hey, make these files all the same loudness. And so I use Audition for that, but then go edit in Logic. Uh, but yeah, I, I understand it. And I, I think the the bit about how it's not visual, that's totally part of it. And I can see why that makes it... Uh, it's sort of it's sort of harder to get your head wrapped around it. We're just looking at you know an hour and a half of waveforms, which is what this show will be. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't actually like see what section where we talked about YouTube comments. I got to go find it, and if I want to move it or change it or edit it, I just got to listen to it all. And so it's definitely a different set of muscles, but I think they're definitely related. And you know, uh, editing is nothing really but keeping up with the details. It feels like to me, <laughs> and and making judgment calls about those details, like the ums and ahs. Some of them come out, but if you remove all of them, then people sound like robots. And if you clean up all the pauses, then it doesn't feel natural. And you've got to mm-hmm. got to find the zone to be in. And uh, you know, like anything else in in our industry, I think it just takes practice. And, and anyone can get good at it. You just got to have a reason to do it and the uh, the patience to work your way through it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think, like like you said, the length is part of the issue for me because with a video. It's very 
easy to look at a section of it and say, okay, this works, this flows. With a podcast, I think it's something, it's it's harder for me personally to get the big picture and see how everything is flowing together mm-hmm. um, so that I can know what to cut. Oh, and it was the worst. It's the worst thing when you cut something and then you realize, oh, no, we've referenced that later. (laughs) You've got to put it back. (laughs) Yeah, or get rid of the reference. (laughs) Or get rid of the reference. Scrub it. Depending on how annoyed you are. (laughs) Yeah, that is is quite tricky. We spoke a couple minutes ago about about Rocket, how you're going out. You're sort of the driving force, collecting the links and the stories you are going to talk about. And... I wonder if you could ex- uh, explain that a little bit more about what that looks like. Or is Rocket something that's maybe always on the back of your mind or do you have some set time where you sit down and, and approach it or how does that Ooh, work? Confessional time. My boss is asking me how we plan the podcast. Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> Uh, so we have a, uh, a Facebook Messenger group, although I am bullying Christina and Brianna into switching to WhatsApp, not because of Facebook concerns, obviously, because they own WhatsApp too, uh, but <laughs> Because uh, I am really, I'm trying very hard to limit my social media usage on my phone. So I don't have Facebook on my phone. And I took Messenger off my phone when there was that story about um, if you, if Facebook has your phone number, you, it's visible to people, to friends, and you can't hide it. Um, That annoyed the crap out of me so i just i kind of lost my mind and deleted my phone number off facebook and then one day when social media was very stressful i think it was the day that notre dame caught fire people kept messaging me and i was on a video shoot and i was like i i can't think about this right now people need to leave me alone Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i deleted messenger off my phone and then because i had taken my phone number off facebook it would not send me um a a code (laughs) when I tried to reinstall it and I was like oh well this is a sign that I'm not meant to have messenger anymore (laughs) so (laughs) so now I'm convincing Brie and Christina to move to WhatsApp because I do have that um and we'll basically just anytime somebody sees a story that is interesting um we'll drop it in the group chat which can get confusing sometimes because there'll be a, a bunch of stories you know we talk about three every week maybe four if we're pushing it um but at some point usually uh, again we record on wednesdays wednesday nights at some point on wednesday it'll be like crap we gotta choose <laughs> someone will be like wait are we planning the show uh and then we will plan the show Uh, And basically choosing what we feel is the biggest story that will, you know, be be relevant and interesting that week. And um, immediately then, Thursday morning, when the show is in the can, a bigger story will break. (laughs) And that is called the rocket rule. (laughs) It is a curse upon our lives. It's happened so many times now. Um, Thursday breaking news is my hell. Um... But yes, yes, it'll. It, it, we, we all basically do our own research. And then I will kind of, because I am the person who introduces the show and transitions from topic to topic, um, I kind of have a, a call on what we end up doing. Um, not in a tyrannical way, but <laughs> Brie likes to talk about cars a lot. And sometimes it's like, I love you, but I can't talk about cars I can't, I, I don't have the knowledge and I, I'll, sometimes we will do a car topic and um, I will do my best 
and Brianna will bring all of the magic to that, and I will bring what I can. And it's very sad. Um, (laughs) It's kind of interesting, though, because when you listen to your video workflow, it's highly scripted, so much so that you do a table read, and every word is really gone through several people. Mm-hmm. And then a podcast is very extemporaneous and um, it's such a different, it's just such a different workflow for you. I was curious, how how do you do, how do you prepare differently for a podcast than a video? I will, well, I guess I do a lot of research for both of them. Um, that's a good question. I, I think kind of what we're trying to do with YouTube right now is just really focus on quality um, because that, especially in the gaming space, YouTube is very, very competitive. Um, there are a lot of people out there making videos about video games. It's very difficult to stand out and do something unique. And when we were doing like uh, Let's Play style videos and live streams, it was even more difficult to stand out because you're making something that's 30 minutes or an hour long and you're asking people to sit through that and they already know 50 other channels who are doing that same thing. Um, So in that environment, that just didn't work for us. It didn't make sense to make these very long extemporaneous things um, rather than devoting our skill and our time, because this is our job, um, to making something that no one else could make. And with podcasts, of course, it's also an incredibly competitive space. There are a thousand billion of them. Um, but I think, I mean, Rocket obviously has the benefit of being on Relay. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and people enjoy Relay as a brand. Um, but uh, I think people, because of the way that they listen to podcasts, um, it can be longer and more extemporaneous because... They don't have to sit down and put their eyes on something and focus on it uh, for a period of time. Like I listen to podcasts as I'm walking to the subway and on the subway and while I'm cooking. And if I miss parts of it, frankly, for me, that's okay because it's it's just this nice thing that I have to keep me entertained and keep me focused and out of my head while I am doing something else. So I, I think in the, for podcasts, being able to be extemporaneous works. Um, mm-hmm. And I do research. <laughs> I read the stories and I try to, I, for me, because I'm, I think, the least experienced person on Rocket, I'll just try to read as much as I can to get on Christina and Bree's level because they both have so much more hard tech experience than me. And I, I bring levity and silliness. Uh, and all the learning that I have packed into my little brain over the past years of doing this show. Well, I think something too that, and Rocket may be my favorite example of it, is that people listen to podcasts over a long period of time for the personalities. It's not just the stories, but they want to hear the way the three of you are going to take on that story. And I think that y'all have done a really good job at honing a personality for the show that is a, a blend of the three of you clearly but that is unique and and that's something that I think people who are starting out with podcast struggle to find but after a while it sort of happens and I think y'all have done a good job with that and I have to say gang if you haven't listened to an episode of Rocket and look 
I'm not supposed to have favorites, <laughs> but Simone does the best ad reads on the whole network. I'm just going to say it. Thank you. My ad reads, uh, Mike's ad reads, I mean, they're okay. Like, they get the job done, but Simone's are truly special. Just just listen to the, you know, just go listen to an episode of Rocket. Don't skip the ads where I'm watching. I know. And uh, you'll, <laughs> you're in for a treat. Literally any episode of Rocket. Um, and I, I've told this story before, but uh, I will repeat it for your listeners if they haven't heard it. Rocket was the first podcast I ever did. And because I was the person, like like I said, transitioning topic to topic, I was in charge of the ad reads. And Brie was like, okay, so when I listen to podcasts, I like an ad read to have personality. Mm-hmm. You know, So feel free to improvise with the copy that they give you. And I, uh, a novice podcaster, complete. I took that advice and I ran 10 miles with it. Because I look at ad copy and uh, I, I panic and I black out temporarily and strange voices come for me. Uh, my speech speed varies uh, high and low and everywhere in between. Um, characters emerge. I just, I, I lose it. Oh, boy. So... <laughs> They're great. So what you are hearing cannot be recreated. It is unique to my psychology. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a magical thing. All right, Simone. So now you are a dyed-in-the-wool Apple person. You've got all the Macs. You've got the, the Mac that you're not giving up, even if it catches on fire. Get your iPhone. What are some of your favorite apps that, uh, that help you get your work done that people may not know about or maybe they do know about, but they should still get some attention? Ooh. So uh, the first one I hope will be familiar to anyone who records podcasts, and it is Call Recorder for Skype. Um, I, I do use Skype to record podcasts, and that is an experience that I don't necessarily appreciate. But what I do appreciate is Call Recorder because it just freaking works. I bought a license to it. It is a plugin for Skype. I press button and it records not just my audio on my own track, but the guest's audio on their own track. And it is so useful. I can't tell you how many times I've gone on someone else's podcast and like sent them over a call recorder file. And then it's been like, oh my God, yes, it's already timed and everything like when you're when you're putting all the tracks in whatever editing program you use you don't have to worry about syncing because it'll be synced because there are two tracks but you still get your separate um personal audio it's wonderful so um i've introduced it to everyone at my work um and they absolutely love it because we can use it for recording interviews which is something we're, you know, increasingly doing on the video team. And it's just so nice to be able to sit down with um, a subject on Skype and not have to worry about, you know, Mm -hmm. having them set things up on their end. It's not fun. But if you can just say, okay, like this... This isn't audio I'll necessarily use in a video. I just want to record this interview for myself. It works every dang time. And it... It's just so simple. So it's an absolute lifesaver. You guys use it too, right? I think like the whole podcasting industry is built on on call recorder. People complaining about Skype and buying call recorder licenses. Good. Perfect. Both. For a reason, folks. It just works. Uh, and then for game capture, I, I, I was against this at first. I, I used game capture HD on my own and I loved it because it has... A very nice, you know, dark interface, big, easy to read buttons. 
that's what I use on my own. And then I changed to OBS because um, a lot of people at work here prefer using OBS to capture. And I have to say, I think I am converted. Uh, the interface is not nearly as nice. Um, it's kind of hideous. Um, it, it looks kind of janky. It just looks like a very, it's a very old looking app. But what OBS does wonderfully is it makes it super easy to set up scenes and then save those scenes. So, so earlier when I was talking about um, capturing gameplay or capturing gameplay with a picture in picture or capturing just gameplay in audio, with OBS, you can make a bunch of presets for whatever kind of video you're recording. And then you can choose which one and bring in different feeds, basically. So maybe I have a feed that is the game and then another feed that is the camera that I'm using to capture myself. And then another feed that is the microphones that I'm using to record my audio. You can put those all in under a preset scene and save it. And it will be there next time you want it to work. And I just really appreciate the ease of of making videos happen with that. Um, and especially for our streams. I don't know if you guys watched our E3 streams this year. Yeah, some um, we have um, something, a little device called Stream Deck that um, has a bunch of buttons on it. And basically you can use it to queue up a scene in OBS. So we built a bunch of presets, or I should say my coworker, Pat Gill, built a bunch of presets um, for moments that happened during press conferences. So like something awkward would happen and he would press a button and then the word yikes would come up all over the screen or something (laughs) like that. So it's basically a way for you to produce a video um, or a, a live video without like having a person sitting in a booth looking at a bunch of different screens and doing a lot of very complicated stuff because we just don't have the the manpower for that. Um, so And OBS makes that possible. And it works with Elgato. So you can still, without using... Um, wow, let me back up. Game Capture HD is the program, the proprietary program of Elgato, which is the device that we use to capture gameplay. But Elgato works with OBS. So you can use the good device with the program that I like. And that is wonderful. It's it's really remarkable to me how much innovation there is in, in streaming right now. Like stuff like you're explaining, it's like problems that are are kind of new. And um, for people, you know, democratized video distribution. And they're coming out with these solutions where you don't need a guy in a booth. And it, it's just kind of crazy how fast this is happening. Yeah, like even for us, you know, a year or so ago, I don't think we 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 didn't have it set up as nicely as we do now. Um, and it's just very, very cool and good, very cash money, as our interns would say, <laughs> to be able to spin up a stream and have all of these things prepared and ready to go, um, again, without booking the control room here at our studios and finding somebody to run that stream and all of those, I think, time and access issues that even at Vox Media we've struggled with just because, you know, it's we're what like six, six different networks, you know, all in the same building, all using the same studio space we have to share. So for us, it's better to be nimble and be able to spin up our own streams and record our own videos rather than wait for um, 
for support, text, broader tech support from the studio system here. And it lets people getting started at home just download some stuff and get started, right? Like the barrier to entry for live video streaming, I mean, even five or six years ago was insurmountable as an individual person. And now oh my God, it's yeah. just a download away. And, and maybe you need some hardware if you're doing something specific. And I think that's really exciting because it means that more people can share what they're doing. Yeah, it's so easy. And it's so it's so much easier to make something that looks nice, which is wonderful and so crucial no matter what um, – what level of content creator you are. Yeah, it, it is crazy how far this has come. And, and I feel like this is something that's still happening. I mean, there are certain areas of this technology where things have kind of resolved. But with the live streaming stuff, there's a bunch of innovation still happening. Yeah, and I mean, YouTube, streaming on YouTube, what an interesting thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's quite democratic, I think, in terms of, of platforms. Because, you know, you've got YouTube and you've got twitch uh so and that that's those are the places where people live and where viewers will come to watch your stuff so it i think it can be hard to compete there but uh a hit will get you in front of a lot of eyes on those platforms well simone thank you so much for coming on thank you definitely getting in here before show 500 that was very important to me thank goodness yeah thank you so much for having me Uh, like i said earlier i'm always fascinated to hear how people get their work done with all this apple gear and you guys get a lot of work done over there (laughs) i mean yeah you talk about video games the video games is hard work everybody know that works in the industry or writes about the industry they work a lot harder than most of the other people i know yeah uh the game industry is brutal and so is media. But I love it. You're pulling it off. And uh, and we're so happy to uh, have you on the show. Gang, if you're listening and uh, you have any interest in, in gaming, uh, Simone has really, and her team has really created a nice little safe place to go learn about video games and have a good time. So head over, you know, to Polygon if you're interested. Of course, listen to Rocket on Relay. One of my favorite takes on the tech industry is over on the Rocket podcast. So you can get that every week. Um, anywhere else people should go to look for you, Simone? Oh, well, youtube.com slash polygon, of course, for our videos. And um, I am on Twitter at Doom Quasar, which is a place where I am. And that does not fit into my workflow. It, in fact, detracts from it. But <laughs> there I shall be, <laughs> tweeting until I die. Still is an awesome Twitter handle. I mean, let's be honest. Thank you. Y- you win. All right. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, 1Password, Smile, Linode, and Eero. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>